In the spiritual battle that we fight every day, sometimes the worst enemy we will ever face is not the one off in a distance or around a corner. It's not the situation we anticipate coming down the road through a certain circumstance. Not at all. The worst enemy we may ever face is ourself, our own sinful nature. We're in this battle, and we're constantly in this battle, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We struggle with this as Christians. In desiring to follow him and be obedient to him, many times we forget that the most dangerous enemy is the one that is always there. And we are given the list, the world, the flesh, and the devil. We can separate from the world. Satan can only be in one place at a time, but the flesh is always here. The flesh is always here. And we always struggle with that, our own desires, our own dreams, fulfilling our, 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 our own wishes, and understanding that sometimes in life what we want is not what we need. Charles Colton wrote in his book, Being the Body, he said in reflecting on Oprah Winfrey and what they call the Church of O, where people follow Oprah Winfrey's teachings as if they were spiritual. And he says this, he says, what Oprah is preaching is not particularly new. It's just that combination of her public access and her immense influence as well as a particular appeal, her own interests searching for meaning, makes it uniquely 21st century. He said, the Church of O encourages people to ask all the right questions about life, meaning service to others, identity, and then to look in precisely the wrong place to find those answers. And that place, she says, is within. The reality is, according to Scripture, the answers aren't within. That's where the problem lies. We're all sinners, not saviors. The answer is outside ourselves. It's in Jesus Christ. We cannot solve our own problems. Remember this, as much as the world wants to say, we all start out good and and neutral. That is not true. We're born in sin. Because of that, we don't need personal reflection. We need a personal Savior. One who can forgive us and can save us from our sins. Answers to life are not found within. That's clearly the wrong place to look. In fact, Jeremiah 17 tells us that it says, The heart is more deceitful than all else, and it is desperately sick. Who can understand it? Today we're going to look at the battle that all of us go through. Very seldom will you ever have to confront the devil. I hope you never do. Hopefully you will stay off of his radar and you will not do something that that he would be attracted to influence you on. The world is out there and hopefully you understand the world is broken and it's dying and because of that it cannot help you. The shooting stars that attract attention from people around the world, whether they're in the entertainment industry or they're in athletics and professional sports, they're there for a day and then they're gone. And the ones that are stellar and wonderful very often burn out and die very quickly. We know that we have a Savior that loves us, who came not only to die for our sins, but he came to live as a demonstration of how we can live. And because of that, we can hold fast to what he has taught us. He's not just given us salvation at the end of our life and in eternity. He's also offered to us a way to overcome the enemy, the flesh. 
The fact is, for most of us, in living the true Christian life, we are our own worst enemies. But given within us as Christians, the Holy Spirit of God can guide us. But we determine how much of the Spirit influences our life. We determine to what degree we allow the Spirit to work in our life. The fact is, life's a struggle for all of us. Some people handle it better than others. Some people hide that struggle and just don't share it with anyone else. Remember, this struggle is a physical struggle. It's an emotional struggle, and it's a spiritual struggle. And it's one that we all go through. Our war is not against physical things in the world, but it's, it's against evil. But physically, we go through that. We have many enemies that we have to fight. We have to begin our day prepared. And sometimes before we even prepare for our day, the evil one will begin to work on our heart. If you've ever had one of those nights that was sleepless and restless, and you spent the night anticipating the next day with all of its treachery and with all of its frustrations, or you were anticipating a very unpleasant situation, and you struggled with it, you know exactly what I'm talking about. The flesh has a hard time sometimes just giving over to God what is really here, His and not ours. I've heard it said, and I think it's a true saying, that worry is taking responsibility God never intended for us to have. And even in worry, we do that. I had a dear friend many years ago, and she would always say this saying. She'd say, why worry when you can pray? And one of her good friends who was her age, a, a post-octogenarian, would always look, and he said, yeah, but why, why pray when you can worry? I can worry so quickly. And he said, I can, I can struggle and deal with these problems. And she looked back at him and she said, but do you ever solve them? See, that's the reality. Sometimes the reason we don't pray and turn things over to God is we like control. We like to be able to, to, to you know, tweak the nuances of life and we feel like we're in control. But the reality is, you don't live too long in this life before you figure out you're really not in control. Not at all. God is in control. And in the midst of the disasters and the denials we go through in life, let us understand there's only one entity that can change us. And that's Jesus Christ. He can give us the peace that we need. Our war is not against physical things. If it were, we could defeat those. We could overcome those. As stated earlier, we're our own worst enemy. Galatians 5.16, and I love it in the New American Standard, says, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. I believe with all my heart that no truer saying has ever been said than that person that said that the Lord, in the stillness of the moment, speaks but once, Temptation beats constantly. Temptation is always there for us. Temptation to follow after the lust of the flesh. And, and people say, well, what exactly is that? The fact of the matter is we were all born with a sinful nature. I looked over a few minutes ago, and I always pray for Jean. I love the work that she does. But when I saw that she was walking up here with two sets of twins, I couldn't help but say, Lord bless her. Most of you all know I'm a twin, I've got a set of twin sisters. My mother was a twin. My grandmother was a twin. And I had three sets of aunts and uncles that were twins. I don't even want to go into the cousins and the nieces and nephews that are twins. 
in my family. So I understand something about twins. I, I used to be with my brother, and I wanted to inspire him, but usually he conspired me to do things I shouldn't. There's something about twins, but I looked at those precious twins, and I know all four of them, and I love the way they interact with one another. And sometimes we as individuals are twins because we have what we want to do on one side and we have what we should do on the other. And we struggle between that. We want to do that which is right. And, and, and if we walk by the Spirit, we will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. You see, our problem is genetic. We inherited greatly from Adam and Eve. I don't know how long they lived before the temptation came. And, and remember, the master tempter of all time, Satan, came directly at Eve. And in her purity and her innocence... God still had to create her with that horrible thing called choice. Because you see, you cannot be compelled or, or pushed to love. Love is a choice. And we have to have the freedom to say no to God in order for us to have the freedom to say yes. You can't force someone to love you. They have to choose to love you. And God wants us to make the right choice. And they were facing that choice. But you see, Satan did not come after them and attack them with horrible, ugly, terrible things. No. He was very cunning. He said, did God really say what you think he said? And when Eve quoted back what God had said to them not too long before that, she misquoted. And it's easy to do that. Sometimes in our desire to do what is right, we don't focus on the details of what is right. There's a reason why God tells us to read his word day and night constantly so we'll understand it. Because it's so easy to take God's word and use it rather as something that would touch our own hearts and pierce our heart and change us, we use it as something to attack other people with, as a weapon. It's not a weapon to attack other people and judge them with. It's something to examine our own hearts with. And sometimes the sins that we fall to are not the, the thou shalt not kill and thou shalt not steal. No, it's more insidious than that. It's by not following God's word completely in our own lives. Jesus settled that very plainly when he told us, don't judge other people. And the word judge that he uses there doesn't mean to, to make a judgment call. It's not like looking and saying, well, do, do I need to walk up this 150-year-old ladder that's been eaten up by bugs and is absolutely rotted? No, it doesn't mean that kind of judge doesn't mean judgment as far as what is good or what is bad. What it means is don't look at them and pass judgment on them. Only one entity has the authority to do that, and that is God himself. God is the supreme judge, and he's the only honest judge. But many times people judge others harshly and unkindly. They judge others based on what one person has said and not truth. Remember the book of Matthew says that, that if, you, if you have an alt with your brother, go to him. But sometimes 
when you're the matter of discussion, you're the last person people will talk to. Jesus gives us this advice. He said, judge not because I will judge you. As you judge other people harshly, I will come back and judge you just as harshly. I will teach you what it feels like to fall under that hand of judgment. There's a time for judgment. I can tell you exactly when it is. It's after you leave this world and step into eternity. You are judged for what you've done in this life. Don't ever confuse suffering the consequences of your sin or your poor choices in this life with judgment. That is not God judging you. If you make a poor decision and you end up in trouble, you have created that problem yourself. It is not God throwing rocks at you or demeaning you or attacking you. That's not how God works. God came to help us move back to him, not to push us away. Of all the beautiful things that Paul said to the Christians in Rome, trying to get them to move outside of their legalism, no doubt the most beautiful thing he said right in the beginning in the first chapter of Romans is when he said, knowing this, that the goodness of God compels you to salvation. Not the fear of God, not the judgment of God, but but the goodness of God. And that's why we depend on him. Understand the lust of the flesh, our sinful nature, is genetic. We inherited it. It came from our ancestors, not just our parents and our grandparents, but on back. It's around us. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary, Galatians says, to one another, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. But if you're led by the spirit... You're not under the law. I thought about this the other day when I was behind a church member and they were driving in front of me. And they literally, I mean, Jeff, I I watched my odometer. They, They stayed right at the speed limit. Even at the point where I would have accelerated, they stayed right at the speed limit. And I thought, this person does not need a sign. I stayed behind them for about four miles, and it was fast. And I'm not going to tell you who it is either. Don't come up and ask me. But I was so impressed. They, they, they did not break the, the ultimate sin in Selma, which is not maintaining your lane. Some people here just zigzag back and forth. You think that they were, they were drawing a beautiful picture the way they drive. But this person was driving so carefully, that, and, and I watched them, and I thought, they don't need road signs. They don't need advice. They naturally do that. And this is what it's saying. When the Spirit guides you, you're not going to need the law to restrict you because you're going to have someone else's greatest concern is the number thing in your mind, the top thing that you concern yourself with. Romans 7, 15 tells, and and, and this this was Paul's way of describing the flesh. And I I love the way he does this. He says, for that which I do, I don't choose to do. I don't allow it. For what I would do, that I do not do. And what I hate, that I do. He said, said, the the flesh is causing me to do things that I know in, in my mind cognitively, spiritually are wrong. But the flesh drags me towards that. He said, if then I do that which I would not or, or I shouldn't, I consent unto the law that it is good. Now, 
then it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. Meaning the sin is dragging us away from where we should be. I read this and I understand exactly what he's saying. You ever start out your day with good intentions? And you're going to do all these wonderful things and, and you, just, you just want to follow God? And something goes wrong and you just get a little bit off kilter. And then something else happens, then something else. And you just suddenly end up in a place you never planned on being in. That's what the flesh does. The flesh literally is in a battle against us. It's an enemy that we can't shake in this life. We will deal with the rest of our life. We will, we will never be in a place where we can say we've, we're safe and we've overcome the temptations of the flesh. It's bizarre how that happens. Someone says something unkind to you. Something mean-spirited. You don't know what kind of day they've had. You don't know what they've been through, but they... they, they turn their anger and their vitriol on you, and they just spew it on you. How do you handle that? How do you deal with that? How do you deal with that, 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 that bitterness and that anger? Because, you know, long after scars heal, when you've been in a fight with somebody, words still fester and hurt. I've seen situations where someone said something unkind about an individual and it, they never got over it. That's why the flesh can never guide us towards anything good. The Spirit has to. We have to be forgiving. We have to be. We have to be. Oh, the times that people were looking for a reason not to follow God. And one of God's people, being just as human as that individual, said something unkind. And all they were looking for was an excuse to walk away from God. And like that, it's given. That's why it's important that we be different. God wants us to be a messenger with a message that's worth sharing. And every person in this room is held accountable before God. One of the most frightening statements given in all of Scripture is this, that every idle word that's spoken, we will give an account for. Now, do Christians fall into sins? Absolutely we do. But we have a Father who will forgive us of our sins and will strengthen us and we do have a direction we can go. It's not just enough to stand over here in the corner and say, well, I'm not doing any of these sins, and I'm going to be real good today, and I'm going to just stand here, and I'm going to behave. Sort of like when a teacher would put a kid in the corner. And I'm not going to ask you if you ever did that, but the kids that you'd put in the corner, and you'd stand them there away from everybody, and they'd be good when they were watched and they were observed the whole time. But what do we do good beyond that? what we would call productivity, good works in the kingdom of God. You can say, well, I don't smoke, drink, or chew, and I don't go with gals that do. That was a phrase that, as a teenager, I used to hear. But, but beyond that, what do you do for the kingdom of God? 
Do you share your faith? Do you encourage others? Do you pray for those around you? Do you reach out to those who are hurting? Do you help someone who's broken? What do you do for the kingdom of heaven? Do you make a difference? Are you a person that's distinctive? I, I, I love how this ends, but the fruit of the Spirit, and I love this because this is literally what you are to produce as a Christian when you move away from the strength of the flesh and you begin to follow the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And it says, there is no law against these. One day, some way, and I grew up like some of you did, used to on Sunday nights when I was a teenager, we'd go to eat somewhere. That was just a part of ending church on a Sunday night. And Jeff, I don't know where your family went. You grew up near where I did. But, but we had to go to that sacred, holy restaurant, Shoney's Big Boy. And you know, Shoney's Big Boy had one of the most sinful desserts. You know which one I'm talking about? The hot fudge cake. How you could combine so much that's bad for you, and it tasted so good. I mean, literally from that cherry on the top to the last piece of that devil's food cake on the bottom, it was perfect. And we would go there and enjoy that, but, but I realized after a while, while we sat there in that group, we didn't do anything for the kingdom of God. In fact, sometimes people watching us that were lost looked at us and said, if that's what a Christian is, that's not what I should be. And I can remember when we changed the way we would do that. And we would go in there and we would find someone in there maybe that was sitting alone. Maybe it would be a, a, a man and a woman who were there that hadn't gone to church anywhere. We would invite them in our group and just get to know them, not preach at them. Build a relationship with them. And I remember the difference that made in my heart because suddenly love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, self-control all began to work in our hearts. John Stott had a friend that told him about a time that he and his family came back from a vacation. And they had a garden, beautiful garden in their backyard, about a half acre. And they had planted each of the rows there. And on a row of pole beans, right in the middle of the row, there was a stalk growing up that was about that big around, and it was eight feet in the air. And lo and behold, they'd been gone two weeks. Guess what was on the top of it? a sunflower. They were scratching their heads. They said, how do pole beans grow sunflowers? And they talked and they looked and they thought, they said, what is going on here? <laughs> and then their son, who was 12, came up and he said, well, Dad, you remember how you would make me come out here and pull the weeds from around the pole beans while you were over there with, with, with the uh, crookneck squash and working in the corn? He said, yeah, he said, remember that morning I told you I had a bag of sunflower seeds and I was eating them? He said, I might have accidentally dropped one while I was pulling the weeds up. That's how it happens in our life. We can be doing everything we should do, but right in the middle of a situation, up springs something that's not supposed to be there. John Stott said this, he said, it's amazing in life that we can sow a thought and reap a deed. You can sow a deed and reap a habit. 
You can sow a habit and reap character, and you can sow a character and you can reap a destiny. That's how easily it begins. He said, every time we allow our mind to harbor a grudge or nurse a grievance, entertain an impure fantasy or wallow in self-pity, we're sowing to the flesh. Every time we linger in a bad habit whose insidious influence we know we cannot resist. Every time we, we, we lie in bed and, and we ought to be up praying, but the bed is so comfortable, we stay there. We risk our self-control when we look at impure things. Every time we take a risk that strains our self-control, we are sowing, 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 sowing to the flesh. That's why we've got to grow the strength within ourselves and beg God to give us that. There's a book that I wish everybody in this church could read at some point. It was written for men, but it's actually one of the best books I've ever read. It's called The Samson Syndrome. Samson was a strong and a great man. He was a judge over the nation, yet he failed miserably because he allowed temptation to insidiously eat its way into his life. At last he accomplished one good deed for God, but his life will always be remembered in the fact that he allowed temptation to rule in his heart. Are you willing to tame the flesh? If you are, the Spirit of God will give you all the strength you need and the victory will be yours. Let us pray. Father, I thank you that in your holy word, you give us words of encouragement and power and strength. And as we listen, Lord, we understand that we're human and we do fail and we falter. Our desires are, are to do better, but so often we don't. Yet in your word, there's everything that we need to be strengthened. And I pray right now if there's someone here within the sound of my voice that's struggling and they want to do that which is right, but temptation draws them. I pray that they'd find the strength to come to you and trust you to overcome these temptations, to confess their faults to one another as we're guided in Scripture to do, to admit their failings, and then allow the fruit of the Spirit to grow freely in their heart and in their life. For so quickly the weeds of sin will take over if we'll allow them. Lord, speak to someone this morning who needs to come and, and kneel at this altar and pray. Someone possibly that needs to come and join this church today or come and be baptized. Whatever the need is, Lord, may your spirit guide and may, may we be faithful to respond. For we pray this in your holy name, Lord. Amen.